uh, I want to have an interesting conversation. It's an important conversation this morning. And here's how I want to set it up. We just finished four weeks of a conversation called Who Do You Think You Are? And we had that conversation on purpose because we said that question is important because when I know who I am, then I'll know what to do. Now, if you weren't here for those four weeks, or maybe you're newer to Grace, you can go online, check out those messages. In fact, I would encourage you to do that. Lots of people grow up in in church and they're always told what to do, but we're never told who we are. And God's word spends a lot of time saying, here's who you are. And when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. It's about our identity in Christ. When we say yes to Jesus, when we trust Christ, give our heart and life to Jesus, whatever words you put to it, he says, here's who you are. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Some of you grew up in church and you're doing, doing, doing. You don't know why you're doing it. Maybe it's because you don't know who you are. Some of you had people tell you who you were and you're like, I want to run away from that identity. And so we did that series, say, well, who does God say? Because who he says I am is who I really am when I say yes to Jesus, okay? So that was a conversation for four weeks. Go check it out. This morning, I simply want to twist that. Instead of asking the question singular, I want to ask it plural. And I want to ask it this way. Who do you think we are? Who do you think we are? When you think about Grace Church, when you think about the church, who do you think we are? And here's why I want to ask the question. That is an important question because when you know who we are, then you'll know what to do. When you know who we are, then you'll know what to do, and it will help you interact with the church. Now, here's why that's important, right? Let's let's just be honest about it. Uh, All of us are at different places. Some of you are here, and you're like, man, uh, this is like my second time in church ever, right? And, uh, or maybe you're like, I'm not a Christ follower, Dan. I'm not somebody who would call myself a Christian, a Christ follower. That's cool. I'm glad you're here. I say that almost every week. Thrilled you're here. Okay, you're like, I don't know if I'll agree with everything you say. That's fine. You don't have to agree with everything I say to come here. But here's what I would say. If you're here and you're not a Christ follower, brand new to church, I hope what I want to talk about is informative. I, I really do. I hope I can inform you. And you're like, oh, that's what's going on? Some of you have grown up in church and maybe walked away from it because your church experience maybe was bad, harmful. Maybe it was confusing. I don't know what your experience is. I talk to people all the time, and I know there's a gob of you that come here like, oh, man, I, I got away from church because this is all that happened, and it was confusing. I hope this morning our talk is corrective. I really do. I hope it's like, oh, I didn't know that's what was going on. And then some of you say the Grace Church is my home, and I hope it's just motivational, right? I hope that somehow it inspires you to keep doing what you're doing and maybe explains to you why you're doing it because you know who we are. See, you know this. We've talked about it in the series that when we know who we are, we'll know what to do. And our identity drives our behavior. It just makes sense individually. It makes sense corporately. In fact, you can think about really, really dumb examples. We know how to interact with people based on the fact that we know who they are. Think about it. This is a stupid example, but it it helped make the point. None of you, at least I hope you wouldn't, leave this service. None of you would leave this service, go down to the police station and say, hey, can I get a hamburger? Like, nobody would do that, right? If you do, I'd like for you to record it and send it to me. I'd like to know how that goes, right? They're going to look at, yeah, they're going to look at you and say, what? Who do you think we are, right? You're not going to do that. Why? Because you know who they are. Like, they're not McDonald's, right? They're not serving hamburgers this afternoon. And so you know who they are. You know how to interact with them. Nobody's going to go to Acme and say, hey, can you wash my car, right? Nobody's going to do that. Why? Because you know who they are. And so you know how to interact with them. Nobody's going to go to the library today and say, hey, would you walk my dog for me? Nobody, why? Because you know who they are. They've been like, you're crazy, right? Because you, do you really know who we are? If you know who we are, you'll know what to do. We're a library. Come look for a book. Look for a resource. You'll know what to do. Same thing is true with the church, okay? 
And, and, and people, I can tell you that I've had so many, people are confused as to what the church really is. There's some people, and maybe you're one, that when you come to church, you think, I came to a building, or I came to a service. And you think to yourself, I came to a place that in essence is a spiritual museum. So I think that's what church is. They talk about all the things God did back in the olden days, all those people back in the old days. And so we look and we pay, pay honor and homage to what God used to do. It's like, wow, that's really cool. And so it's like a spiritual museum. Others of you, you, you see it as a building where you come and it's kind of like this center for moral education maybe. Like I go to church and you think of a building because that's where they teach me to become a better person. And so I go there every week and they just teach me how to be a better person. Others of you, man, no, that's not what I think. You come because this is a place where you said, that's where I get entertained. And maybe you put it this way, I get this spiritual adrenaline rush, right? And so I go to church so I can get, I've had people tell me this, I get pumped up for the rest of my week because I go to church, right? And so that's how you see church. And so based on what you think about church is how you'll interact with church because you think that's who they are, that uh, will determine or drive what you do in interacting with the church. Here's the deal, here's the deal. If any one of those things I just said is what you think about when you think about the church, that it's basically a building, that it's basically a service, that it's a spiritual museum, that it's just a center for moral education, or it's where I get my spiritual adrenaline rush, I would suggest respectfully and gently, that you have a wrong picture of church. Honest to goodness, I would suggest that. Some of those things might be good things, but I would suggest you have a wrong picture of church. And so what I want to do for a few brief minutes is give you three pictures. Three pictures of who we are. Three pictures of the church. Not exclusive, but these three pictures help me. And they help share the heart of what I think God intended the church to be. More specifically... As you interact with Grace Church, as you interact with us here, it will help you understand our heartbeat of who we are. Three pictures, we're done, okay? First picture's in Luke 5. You have it open in your lap. Now, before you look at the words on the page, let me tell you the story that's going to drive Luke 5. Jesus, center of the story. Jesus at the center of the story, and here's what's happening. He's teaching crowds are kind of crowding in on him. And he's right by a lake, and these fishermen had brought their boats, and they'd put them on shore. So the crowd is kind of encroaching upon Jesus' space to the point where he looks at the owners of the boat, and he says, hey, why don't we push your boat out into the water? That'll give me a platform, and I get a little space from the people. So they did. One of the owners of the boat, his name was Peter. We've heard his name before right? And so as Jesus is preaching, he gets done preaching, and he looks at Peter. Peter was an experienced, weathered fisherman. And he says this to Peter. He said, why don't we go out into the deep water and you cast your net? Now, that sounds like something you'd say to a fisherman, but the problem was this, Luke 5, that Peter and his buddies had spent all night fishing, because that's when you fish. That's when you catch the most fish. And Peter looks at Jesus when Jesus says, why don't you push out and we'll cast the net? Peter looks at Jesus and said, you know something? We've been fishing all night and we've been skunked. Fishing ain't good today. Like we didn't catch a thing. And Jesus like, no, no, I want you to give this a shot. Peter says to Jesus, because you said so, I'll do it. They cast their net and guess what happens? They catch so much fish. They barely have room in the boats. They can barely get the boats back to shore. It's at that minute, Peter realizes, I think I'm talking to somebody who doesn't just know a little bit about fishing. There's something else about this guy that's pretty important. And all of a sudden, he responds, and he's like, I'm a sinner. And he's like, oh, I can't even believe. He realizes he's in the presence of the Son of God. He realizes all of a sudden, Jesus is not just another person. 
And then Jesus says something, now listen, says something that is pivotal. He says this to Peter in verse 10. Simon, Simon Peter, same guy, he said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for people. Now that's interesting because he's talking to a guy who's a fisherman. And so what he says is, I want you to follow me. I want you to attach your life to mine. And here's what's going to happen. I'm going to make you, some of you have heard this before, a fisher of men. You've heard the story, right? But, but, but the story doesn't end there. Sometimes that's where we end the story. And it's like, oh, that sounds cool. Makes a good little kid song, right? But the story doesn't end there. What's fascinating in the story, and I double dog dare you to read it this afternoon, is what Jesus does next. Because he says to Peter, who, who is a fisherman, he says, come follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. You're going to fish for people. But what's fascinating is what Jesus does next. Because these guys leave everything and they attach their life to Jesus. And the very first thing, verse 12 to 16, you can read it on your own. You see Jesus taking these guys, I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. And what he does, very first thing, is he interacts with a man that the rest of society had discarded. He interacts with a man that the rest of society avoided. He was what you would call a leper. He was somebody when he came into town had to say, unclean, unclean. He was a man who looked awful. He would have been scary, shield the kid's eyes. He was a man who would have been isolated. And the very first thing Jesus does is take these guys that I'm gonna teach how to fish for people. And the very first person they come in contact with is somebody that nobody would dare touch. And this guy looks at Jesus and said, would you make me whole again? Would you heal me? And Jesus doesn't just say, yeah, be healed. But the Bible says that Jesus touched the dude. That's significant because this guy probably hadn't been touched in years. And he heals this guy who the rest of society had given up on. Oh, that's, that, that's not where it ends. When you get to verse 17, they go from, from that situation, which I imagine these guys were like, man, we were fishing last night and Woo, now we're in a leper colony. And then there was Jesus as he's preaching in a house. And it's like, well, that's cool. We kind of expected him to preach, but all of a sudden, the ceiling starts to fall in. And everybody's like, what's going on? And Jesus looks up, and all of a sudden, there's a hole in the ceiling. He sees four faces looking down, and then they begin to let down this guy on this stretcher. Jesus is preaching. Next thing you know, this guy's laying right in front of him. That makes for an interesting illustration, right? And they literally dropped this guy in front of Jesus because he had been paralyzed. He could not help himself. So they helped him get to the one place they thought he could be helped. Jesus heals the dude, but he doesn't just heal the dude. He says, your sins are forgiven. What you really need help with, I'll take care of. Jesus took him first to the place where everyone else avoided. The next thing these followers of Jesus see Jesus doing is he's helping people who couldn't help themselves. And then doesn't stop there. You keep reading. Round about verse 27, 28. You can check me on it. Jesus is walking by a tax collector's booth. His name is Matthew, Levi. This guy would have been somebody the Jews would have hated because he sold his soul to the Roman government. And he looks at this dude and he says, I want you to be one of my followers. And I want to go and I want to eat with you and your friends. The very next thing you see Jesus doing, he goes from going to a place where everyone else avoided, he helps this guy who, who couldn't help himself, and then you see him sitting and eating with Matthew and all of his friends, the sinners, to the point where Jesus, Jesus got a stereotypical label. They said he was a friend of, you've read the story. In fact, 
as they watched Jesus eating with Matthew and these sinners and these people that would have had a reputation, it says there was another group of people and they were the religious people. And guess what? The religious people were annoyed because Jesus was eating with the sinners. They were annoyed because Jesus was acting way different than they would have ever assumed anybody who wanted to do the right thing would do. To the point where they questioned Jesus and Jesus says something in Luke 5, verse 31, that is absolutely key. Look what he says. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners to repentance. He says, here's the illustration. Healthy people don't need a doctor because the religious people, there's nothing wrong with us, right? There's nothing wrong with me. He's like, healthy people, healthy people, okay, quote, unquote, don't need a doctor, right? But sick people do. And so he said, I'm sitting with people who need me. That's what I'm doing. It gives me a picture of what the church is. I want you to write it down. Gives me a picture, and that's this. We're God's hospital. We are God's hospital. When you think of the church, I want you to think of it this way. Why? Because Jesus said, I'm the doctor. I came to heal those who are sick. And so when I follow Jesus, I realize that all of a sudden I'm following a guy who ran right into the messiness of society. Now, now listen, guys, listen. Why in the world did Jesus run into the mess? This is key. This is key. Why did he run into the mess? I believe the reason he ran into the mess, listen close, is because it messed him up. You're saying, how do you know that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Mark chapter 1, talking about the same incident, says this, Jesus was indignant. That sounds like he was mad. That's the Greek word beside it. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. You can later, right? But here's literally what that Greek word means. It means to be twisted up on the inside. Like he was messed up on the inside. He sees this guy and he's like, it was a compassion that moved him to act. And so therefore he reached out his hand and touched the man. Why do I tell you that? Listen, listen, listen. Because you can tell a lot about a person. You ready? Ready? You can tell, this might be worth writing down. You can tell a lot about a person by what makes them busy and what gets them bent out of shape. You can tell a lot about a person by what it is that makes them busy and what it is that gets them bent out of shape. Here's the deal. It bent Jesus out of shape that there was somebody who needed his help. Now, now can I just take that to church? Can I take that to, to collective? You can tell a lot about a church by what makes them busy and what gets them bent out of shape. You can tell a lot about a church by what it is that makes them busy and what it is that gets them bent out of shape. That's why here at Grace Church, I want you to know this, we run into, not away from messes. We run into messiness, not away from it. We wanna take hope where hope's hard to find. We have a value, and here's one of our values. One of our values is we do hard things. We wanna accept people where they're at, take them where they need to go. We wanna run in places where others have abandoned. We wanna run into people's lives that others maybe have avoided. That's why we do things like the heroin community event, the sex trafficking community event. That's why, listen, some of you are sitting here, I can see in some of your eyes, you're like, I'm the one in a mess. That's why I love the fact that we run into messiness. Some of you are sitting here and silently, secretly in the shadows, no one else knows, you are losing the battle of addiction. You're losing it. No one else knows. 
you've, you found a way to hide it, but you know you're losing it. That's why I love that every Tuesday night and Thursday night, Tuesday night, there's this group called Drop the Rock. Thursday night, Recovery in Christ. People who are walking through the battle with addiction. And some of you maybe are there. I love the fact that we have people, here sits one of the leaders right in front of me this morning, who run into Mass and say, hey, we want to walk with you. We want to help you. That every Thursday night, we have a group called Families Facing Addiction. Because some of you, you're not the one in the addiction, but you're a family of someone in the addiction. And if I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times, it just about kills you too. And here's a leader back here. It just about kills you. And so we want to walk with families through that. That's why we partner with people like Rahab Ministries. You see, here's the thing. Here's why. I want to raise the hands on this and be honest. Don't lie. You're in church. How many, I mean it, how many of you in the room, be honest, knew that January 30th was National Leprosy Day? Raise your hand. That's interesting. It is. Write it down, okay? Write it down. Nelson, write it down. Those of you, Kathy, write it down. Some of you that are in these ministries, write it down. I'm going to tell you why. January 30th is National Leprosy Day. We don't talk about leprosy much. Let me tell you about leprosy, and let me tell you why I want you to write it down. Because leprosy starts in the central nervous system. It starts where no one can see it, and it works from the inside out till eventually it wrecks the human body. Very much like addiction starts. It starts in the shadows, in the private moments. No one else notices till eventually what you see is when it's all of a sudden begun to wreck somebody's life. And that's when all of a sudden it becomes evident. But here's what you need to know about leprosy. Leprosy starts in here, works its way to the outside, and it literally takes the feeling away from a person. A leper eventually cannot feel pain. Did you know that? They, they, they eventually cannot feel pain. That's why some of them will burn their fingers off, not even realizing they're burning their fingers off. You say, why is that important? Listen, because that is addiction. The people who are struggling with addiction are not people, they're just bad people, drug addicts, alcoholics. No, they're people like you, like me, who have pain. And you know what they're trying to do? They're trying not to feel their pain. They're trying not to feel their pain, just like a leper, just like somebody that Jesus would have touched. And and, and what we're saying is, as followers of Christ, those who have trust Christ, we run into messes. Not only that, but we help people who can't help themselves. We, we, just like followers of Jesus are watching, like, wow, they brought this guy and they put him right in front of the one person who could help him. We are a place that wants to be stretcher bearers for people who are wounded, stretcher bearers for people who are wounded, dropping them in front of Jesus. You see, here's why that's important. Some of you are wounded. There's all kinds of different ways in which you can be wounded. Some of you are wounded because you've gone through an awful divorce. I'm so, so very glad on Wednesday nights we have a group called Divorce Care that literally wants to walk as stretcher bearers through one of the hardest moments of your life. Some of you are wounded. You know why you're wounded? Because you lost somebody close to you. You lost somebody you love. I have a friend of mine. She comes to this campus, and she was married for over 50 years. Her husband died. She's like, I don't even know what to do, where I'm at, what's going on, how to live life, how do I go on? I bet she doesn't. She's wounded, right? And so, so I'm so glad. March 14th, Wednesday nights, we have this thing called Grief Share that literally wants to walk through loss. 
I'm glad we have this thing called life skills, simply wanting to walk with people through the, the wounds of childhood. Some of us grew up with homes of abusive dads and moms where they told us all these, these life rules that we've adopted. So we have this thing called life skills. Some of you are wounded. We want to be stretcher bears. That's why we do the Million Meal Project. We want to help people who can't help themselves because right now there's kids in Norton High School, who, in, in middle school, in elementary school, who don't have enough to eat. And so we want to help those who quite possibly cannot help themselves. But beyond that, when I look at Jesus, we run into messes. We help those who can't help themselves. Stay with me. And we identify with sinners. Now, stay with me on this. We identify with sinners. This is so key. If you forget everything else I say today, this is such something that pounds in my heart every day. I want you to hear what I'm saying now. When you look at Jesus, he doesn't simply preach to the people. He sits and eats with them. He identifies with them. He annoys the religious people, right? And so he says this. Stay with me. Who's sitting around the table? You know who's sitting around the table? Well, Matthew and the sinners and the tax collectors and all the prostitutes, they're sitting around the table. And Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, his crew, his disciples, right? They're all sitting around the table. They're eating. Imagine what's going on. And then Jesus says this. He says to these religious leaders, like, listen, I didn't come to call healthy people. I came to, to call sick people. I came to call sinners. Guys, read the Bible in color, not black and white. Because I think at that moment, Peter and James and John are listening and they're like looking at each other like, he called us. What's that make us? You know what it makes us? Sinners just like them. You see, I want you to write it this way. We identify with sinners like us. You see, the reason this is so key even if you've grown up in church all your life, I want to tell you something to, to correct maybe some wrong thinking. We run into messes and help those who won't help themselves not because, this might confuse you at first, I'll help you, not because that's following the example of Jesus, not WWJD. Well, that's what Jesus did. What would Jesus do? Listen, if that's the only reason you do good, if that's the only reason you, you'll, you'll follow what God wants you to do, eventually guilt will get you eventually guilt will get you. That's not why we run into messes. That's not that's not the only reason we help people who can't help themselves. The reason we run into messes, the reason we help people who can't help themselves, the reason we identify with sinners is because the story of God is about God running into my mess and into your mess. The story of God is about God helping me when I couldn't help myself. The story of God is about the holy God identifying with me, a sinner, the way Romans says it is this. When we were utterly, what's the word? Say it out loud with me. Now listen, I told you I need your help this morning. That wasn't very good. Here we go. Let's try again. When we were utterly, say the word. Utterly. Now you're with me. Christ came at just the right time and died for us. Say it out loud. That's us it's talking about. Now most people wouldn't be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still, say it out loud. Sinners. See, here's the deal. That's the gospel. That's the story of Jesus. That God came when I couldn't help myself. Why in the world would we help people who can't help themselves? Because that's what God did for me. Why would we run into people's messes? Because God's story of God is about him running into my mess in order to rescue me. You see, that's what drives us. That's what motivates us. Why would we identify with sinners like us? Because God came, put skin on, and identified with a sinner like me to the point where he died for me. 
That's the gospel. You forget everything else this bald preacher says ever. Remember that. That's what saves me and that's what drives me. The Bible begins to pop when you understand this. The Bible begins to make sense when you understand this. I am a saved mess. We're a beautiful mess. I was helped when I couldn't help myself. It will drive me. The gospel will begin to motivate, inspire me in ways that rules can't, in ways that religion won't. See, that's why we're God's hospital. Now, here's the deal. Just like Jesus, just like Jesus, here's the deal. Sometimes that means religious people are going to be annoyed by us. Go ahead and write it down, even if it makes you feel uncomfortable. I'm okay with that. Are you guys okay with that? Yeah, you're not sure. I'm, I understand that because I wasn't either when I started as a pastor. I've been a pastor, those of you who don't know me, for 20 plus years. 20 plus years. And I can tell you 20 plus years that the most opposition that I've ever gotten, the most complaining that I've ever gotten, the most annoyed people have been are people who are religious people in my 20 plus years of being a pastor. I'm just shooting straight with you. And I will tell you this, as a young pastor, that really bothered me because I'm like, wow, this isn't going well. Until I read Luke 5, and I'm like, you know the guy I'm following? Seemed to have the same experience. He seemed to have the same experience. I seem to be in pretty good company. You see, I know this, that I want to follow Jesus because Jesus came after me and saved me. And so if I'm going to follow Jesus the way Jesus chased me, that means I'm going to be busy about and bent out of shape about the very same things he was. Very same things. That's who we are. We are a beautiful mess. We're a beautiful mess. Like if, if I had a descriptor, it's one of my favorite descriptors of the church. Why? Gospel makes us beautiful. Not just what happens in this building. We're a mobile we're a mobile unit. We're a mobile unit. We're not a hospital that just bring your people here, but, but literally when we leave this building, we want to, as individuals, run into messiness. We want to help people who can't help themselves. We're God's hospital. Now, there's a second picture that helps me. And in this picture, okay, this picture, some of you in the room that are sports fans, I, I want this picture to help you. It's the only reason I'm using this picture. I want it to help you to understand the church. Jesus said to Peter, same dude, he said, I'm going to build my church. Jesus says to Peter, I'm going to build my church. Let me say that again. Jesus says to Peter, I'm going to build my church. Question, who's building the church? Yes, I told you guys I need help. Who's building the church? Jesus is. And so it's like, okay, how's Jesus building the church? Well, in Ephesians 4... He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be be infants tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we'll grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, 
joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Listen close. We're going to fly through some of this. You, some of you grew up in church or you've been here and you're like, oh, I know what he's going to say. We're, we're the body of Jesus, and that would be correct. You've heard me say that a hundred times. But when I read this, here's the picture. I hope it helps you. The picture I get is we're God's team. We're God's team. Now, here's what I mean by that. As God's team, Jesus, when he's building this thing called the church, everybody who says yes to Jesus is part of the church. You trust Jesus as your Savior. You're part of the church. Therefore, with the picture, we're part of God's team. So here's when I read Ephesians 4. Here's what it's saying. That God gives to his team coaches. And the coaches that he gives are pastors, teachers, and evangelists. That's what he gives. If you were to ask me, Dan, what do you do? I could say to you, I'm a pastor, okay? I could say that to you. But you say, well, explain that to me. I would say, this is the way I would say it, and I think I'm I'm on. I'm a coach. But, But listen, I want Grace Church Norton Campus to hear this. I'm just one coach. Like, you get to hear me the majority of times because that's my primary role. But I'm just one coach, and I'm not even the smartest of the coaches, I'm not, I'm not even kidding. We got a whole team of coaches. And if you don't know them, you, you need to know their faces. These are, we got Pastor Bob, who's been here for a very long time. We got Sherry, who's our director of our children's ministry. Over on the right, Christian. He's our campus pastor at Sterling. Underneath of him is Pastor Greg. He's the pastor of our family ministries. Underneath of him is Pastor Adam, who was up here leading us through baptism. He's the pastor of our adult ministries. We have Pastor Jonathan. We're so fortunate to have him. He, he's our pastor of care and our give it away and all of those things under that. Pastor Aiden, you get to see him. He leads our worship. We have our pastor in training, Joel, who leads our Grace Student Ministries. We are a team of coaches. We count it a privilege to coach. We are God's team. But if we are God's team, that means several things. We, if we know who we are, we're going to know what to do. And as God's team, there's several things I want you to write them down. First and foremost, we got to remember what our win is. If we're a team, if, if you're on a team, you got to know what is the win. If I'm a, if I'm a football team, where's the touchdown, Right? If, if, I'm a, if I'm on a baseball team, how do I get runs? If I'm a basketball team, where's the basket, right? You tracking with me? The same thing is true for the church. And so it makes me think of, of this picture. <clears throat> Raise your hand if you've ever seen this picture. Okay. Um, where's John Finney? Yeah, there he is. Okay, bless your heart. But this is, <clears throat> this is taken in the Notre Dame football locker room. He's the only Notre Dame fan I know. <clears throat> and it was put up by Lou Holtz. He was coach, 1986. <laughs> he saw this in a book, and he said, I need a sign. I want a local sign maker to make me a sign. And so every home game, the team would walk down these steps, and he wanted them to slap the sign. Why? He didn't want them to forget what the goal was, play today like a champion. He wanted them, every time they slapped it, to remember everybody who had gone before them and made sacrifices, everybody who was on the team with them, and that was going to go out and try to get the win with them, he wanted them to remember what mattered most. Here's the deal. We have signs just like that. They don't say that, just like that all around this building. Did you know that? And those signs remind us of what the win is. In fact, every Sunday when I come out here, bam, I slap one of those signs, because here is our win. Our win is we live to make Jesus make sense. That's the win here. We're God's team, and what are we doing? Everything we do revolves around living to make Jesus make sense. In fact, here's the fuller way we would say it. 
we are preoccupied with making any necessary sacrifice to make the story of Jesus clear and accessible to anyone seeking after him. Listen, why are we preoccupied with that? I want this to make sense to you. You know why? Because the story of Jesus is about God being preoccupied with us. We're preoccupied. Like it is priority. We're preoccupied with making any necessary sacrifice. Why? Because the story of Jesus is God made all the necessary sacrifice so that we could be saved and part of his family. Why are you preoccupied with making the sacrifices necessary to make it clear and accessible? Because the story of Jesus is about God wrapping himself in skin so that he would be accessible. You see? So that is why we do what we do, and it's why we do it how we do it. It's why we do what we do, and it's why we do it the way we do it. It's just important. You see, it's it's why when you come here on a Sunday morning, I'm not going to use a bunch of big words. Two reasons for that. One is I don't know a lot of big words. I'm just going to be honest with you. But, but here's the deal. If somebody's coming for the first time and I sit up here and I say justification, reconciliation, sanctification, blah, 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 blah dispensational, all that, you'd be like, what? And I don't even know. All, you know it's like, but, but here's the deal. Those words all mean something. So what if we said it in a way that made it clear and accessible? We'll do whatever. It, 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 we'll do anything to knock down walls that keep people from knowing the story of Jesus. That's the win, This place is all about Jesus. What's the big deal here, Jesus? What's the touchdown? People saying yes to Jesus. This is like a Super Bowl for us, guys. Like like when we see people that are publicly letting us know they belong to Jesus, like that's the win. And because we're a team, we're, we're one team, one purpose, but we got a lot of positions, right? We're one team and we have many positions that, that we fill, And so the deal is this, just like a football team, there's 50, 60 guys that all have one goal. So that is what the church is. We have a lot of different kinds of people with different skills, different gifts, but we are one team. We win as a team, we lose as a team. We have people this morning that maybe you came in and maybe they greeted you. Maybe you had people that served you coffee. Maybe there are people that helped you park. Praise the Lord for them this morning, right? People that lead you in worship. People that are watching your kids, holding your babies. Listen, 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 listen. We don't have greeters that just greet. We have greeters that live to make Jesus make sense. We don't have coffee people that just make coffee. Those coffee people are living to make Jesus make sense. That's what Aiden and his team do. They live to make Jesus make sense. That's what the people downstairs are. They're living to make, we are one team, we have one goal, and we have a unified win. It's why something that's very important to us is this. We develop our youth league. Now, this is the old coach in me talking, but you know it to be true. If you want to have a successful high school program at anything, basketball, soccer, football, you know the number one thing you got to do is you got to develop the, the, the young league, the little ones, right? If you want a, a, a good high school program, that's what you got to do. Listen, you know, one of our values here at Grace Church is we're God's team, and we are fully committed, fully committed to kids and teens and youth, fully committed. You know why? I'm going to tell you why. Because 70 teachers in the room, write this down. If you're a teacher, write this down. You'll want to know this. 70 to 80% of people who end up saying yes to Jesus do so in the 4-14 window 
between the ages of 4 and 14. 70 to 80% of the people who end up saying yes to Jesus do so in the 4-14 window. Fascinating. We are fully committed to teens and students. That's why I love hearing Miss Sherry talk. She, that's why what she does now, she doesn't babysit kids. And that's why a few weeks ago she shared with our staff, I don't even know who this kid is. So if he's your kid, it's really cool. But this kid, they get power bucks. Raise your hand if you've got a kid who gets power bucks. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so they can, they can cash them in. It's pretty cool. And this little kid cashed his power bucks in, told Miss Sherry he wanted this, this fancy Bible she had. And she's like, wow, that's really cool. She said, I thought you already had a Bible. He said, I do. He said, I'm buying this for my friend. He doesn't. He took it to school, gave it to his friend. And now he and his friend at lunch read their Bibles together. Yeah, wow. You know, we're not just babysitting kids. Like, like there's something that has gotten traction in that kid's heart. And he wanted to give it away. That's why I love when, when Joel and Ethan and Ashley come and they tell us what's going on over the middle, middle school high, at the Norton Middle School. This impact club, 50 to 60 middle school students hang out after school. And they're hungry for something. They were telling me about one gal who her parents are both identified as atheists. They'd say, we're atheists, don't believe in a God. She started coming there. She started coming to some of what we're doing here. Why? Because they matter. Like it matters to us. It's why, can I just do this for a second? Parents, can I have your attention for a minute? Parents, you are the primary, parents, do I have you? I want to talk to you. You are the primary spiritual coach in your kid's life. My last child left to go to college. My wife and I, empty nesters, apart from my 84-year-old teenager that I got in my home, right? But other than that, we're good. That's my mother-in-law, if you're wondering who I'm talking about, right? I love her to death. And I just told your age. Wow, and that's going on the internet. That's crazy, right? If you got an extra seat at lunch, I'd be happy to come, all right? Um, I'm sorry. But anyways, um, I don't even know what I was saying. Here's what I want to tell you parents. I want to tell you parents something. So, so I'm not that far removed. I'm not that far removed from where you're at. I want to tell you something. Your kids can be busy. Today, it's easier than any other time. They can be busy, but just because they're busy doesn't mean they're blessed. Their schedule can be full, but just because they got a full schedule doesn't mean they're doing things that will be fulfilling. And it's your job to help connect them. I want you to know that. And I want to tell you something. That's our passion is to partner with you. Like, I just want to talk parent to parent with you right now. Like, that's why we, I want to strongly, if you've got middle school kids, get them in the 10. Get, get them over here Wednesday nights, connecting in small groups. If you've got children, as much as I'd love for them to be hanging out up here with, with us, get them connected with what Miss Sherry's doing, worship and small groups and teaching. Uh, she, phenomenal stuff. If you're, you're a high school student, I, I beg of you to connect with what we're doing in the after. I, I already know some of you all parents are like, well, that's easy, man. You're, you're the preacher, and it probably was easy for your kids. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. In fact, I get a little bit edgy when people look at me and say that, like I'm not a real person, because that's a bunch of baloney. We moved here. My oldest boy was going into ninth grade. I couldn't have moved him in a worse time. Couldn't have moved. And he went to youth group, youth group, came home, hated it. You know why? He didn't know anybody. And being a high school student can be awkward. Can I get an amen? Can be awkward? Yeah. Hated it. Next Wednesday, rolled around, he told his mom, said, I ain't going. Like, I just started here. I'm like, oh, that's a bad way to start, right? I wasn't there. 
You know what his mom decided to do? She decided to coach him. She coached him. She didn't say, you're going with your leg or not. You know? Let's talk about this, right? And and here's the deal. It's like, you go back. Why? Because we know something you don't know. And you're not going to feel any different when you come home. You go back again, you're not going to feel different. But you keep going, and then you tell me how you feel when it's all said and done. By the way, if you don't know who my oldest boy is, he's the one who was at the very end with all those teenagers. See, he came home after the first time. It's like, I don't know. It's a struggle. I don't know anybody there. Nobody knows me. It's awkward. It's weird. I get it. And yet, I want to tell you parents, sometimes you've got to help them make decisions they wouldn't make themselves. See, some of you got kids, and you're like, I'm not sending my kid. They don't know anybody. My, my youngest was in fourth grade our first Sunday here. Fourth grade. We sent him. They, my kids were scared to death. They were scared to death. And I can't help them. I'm doing this. And I remember he came home, and he's like, man, Dad, I went to Sunday school. I'm like, yeah, how'd it go? He's like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, what happened? He said, what kind of place you bring us? I said, I don't know. What happened? He said, well, I walked in. There was a kid they stuffed in a trash can in the corner of the room. I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of curious what kind of place I brought you to, right? I said, well, why don't you keep going and see if this doesn't work its way out a little bit? I can tell you this, that that boy in fourth grade, my son was like, I don't know if I'm going to like this. That boy became one of his best friends, part of something they called the quartet as he walked through middle school and high school together. Parents, I beg you, I I get on my hands and knees and beg you, don't waste this window. I know they can be in this, that, and this, and that, and this, and that, and this, and that, and have absolutely no spiritual root to them. No compass. 414 window. We're committed. We play like we practice. We don't just show up Sunday and do it. It's something that Monday through, Monday through Saturday is important. Why? Because we're God's hospital. We're God's team. Now listen, I gotta, I gotta abbreviate this because Aiden took too much time at the beginning of the service, okay? So when you see him, tell him that. But here's the deal. I, I want to abbreviate. This last one's important, so stay with me, Matt, okay? But I want you to write it down. We're God's hospital. We're God's team. We're God's orchard. You gotta get this one. Don't, don't tune me out yet. In a few minutes, you can, Okay? But here's the point. Jesus tells a story, okay? Jesus, I want you to get this. Jesus tells a story, Luke 8. You don't need to look there. It's about a farmer sowing seed. Some of you have heard the story. I can see it in your eyes. He's sowing seed, but the seed lands on different kinds of soil. Some of the seed lands where everybody walked, and so it was a path that was all hardened. And Jesus says that the birds would come because that seed laid on top of the soil, and they'd steal it away. Some of the seed landed on rocky soil, And so what would happen is it would begin to sprout, but because it was rocky, it all of a sudden couldn't get any root, and so it would wither. Some of the seed landed over here in the thorny soil, and so it would grow, and it looks like it's going to be great, but eventually the thorns choked it, and so eventually it withered. And then some of the seed landed on good soil, and it took root, and it grew and produced fruit in a crop. And so why did Jesus tell that story? It's called a parable because it's a little story he laid a song alongside of a really big idea. And the big idea is this, that the seed that really matters, the, the seed that's good seed, is the story of God, the gospel. That's good seed. And so what happens is every time I interact 
hear a sermon from God's word, every time I read in my grace group, whatever it is, every time seed is being spread. Seed is being spread. And here's what he wants you to know is sometimes that seed lands on different kinds of soil. Some of us can relate with the hard soil because life has trampled down our heart and our heart is hard. And so it feels like that seed lands, we hear it, but it feels like Satan steals it right away. Some of us, we can resonate with the rocky soil because we get all excited when we hear God's word. Maybe we're here on Sunday, we're like, yes, I'm gonna follow Jesus till Tuesday, you know? It's like, it's like this emotional response and there's no root to it. Some of us can relate with the thorny soil. It's like, man, I wanna follow Jesus and I'm really trying, but I got all this other stuff and I'm trying to add Jesus along with all this other stuff and eventually the cares and the concerns of this world just go, just choke out what God wants to do in our life, Right? And then some of us, we maybe can resonate with the good soil because the soil just represents our heart. And I look in this room, and for some of us, that seed of the gospel has landed in good soil, and it's taken root. And you know what happens when it takes root? It grows. And, and what does it grow into? Listen, a life that is transformed. You see, I know it. It grows into something that transforms the way I live, and eventually I bear fruit. Now, here's what, I'm going to tell you something really profound. The fruit on the tree always, always is consistent with the seed that took root. The fruit on the tree is always consistent with the seed that took root. In other words, if there's an apple seed, they're going to grow an apple tree with apples as fruit. You tracking with me? So when the gospel is what is planted in my life, it's going to transform my life and it's going to grow fruit that's consistent with the gospel kind of like what galatians 5 says fruit of the spirit love joy peace forbearance kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control that's the fruit that it grows now stay with me on this okay and then i'm done we're going to pray be careful on your way home but this is key why in the world does a tree Listen, why in the world does a, fruit, a tree bear fruit? It's interesting. Like you begin to think, why would Jesus use that analogy? Why does a, a tree bear fruit? And as far as I can tell, there's two reasons. As far as I can tell, listen close, this is so key. First reason is this, a tree bears fruit for the benefit of other people. I have an apple tree in my backyard. I've never seen the apple tree eating its own apples. It doesn't happen. Listen to me. As I grow up in Jesus, the more mature I become, maturity in Christ is not a way to get my way. It's a way to give my life away. It's not a way to get my way. It's a way to give my life away. You know why? You know why? Because I see some people from from Norton High School. I I know some of your stories. Um, Some of you are young adults. There there are people who, who don't know what Jesus is like. They don't know what Jesus is like. And so Jesus says, I want you to bear fruit. Why? Because when they bump against my life, they can begin to taste my life and taste what Jesus is like. You see how that works? You see, it's for the benefit of others. I'm giving my life away. I, I get a chance to give my life away. Why do I bear fruit? I want everybody to be impressed with all the fruit on my tree. No. I bear fruit so that I can give my life away. Because there's people 
who need to know what the love of Jesus is like, who need to know what the peace of God is like, who need to know, see what I'm saying? But, but it's not just for the benefit of others. This is where we end. Why does a tree bear fruit? Because that's the way it multiplies. You see, in that fruit is seed that has the chance to multiply other apple trees. You see how that works? And the same thing's true with the gospel. Jesus' intention was this, not that you bear fruit so people be like, wow, you are a really good Christian, but to bear fruit so that other people could taste and see who Jesus is like, what he's like for their benefit. And in that fruit is the seeds of multiplication. Jesus' intention was never, never that it just be one big gospel tree to reach everybody, but that there was orchards, planting orchards. That's why the vision of Grace Church is to launch 30 campuses in 30 years. Why? We're not about building a big megachurch. We want to multiply individually, disciples making disciples. We want grace groups to reproduce. Listen, if you're in the room, you're a grace group leader. I don't get a chance to talk to you much. You're a grace group leader. I see a couple of you. Okay? I'm going to challenge you. I'm, I'm taking a little liberty here. Pastor Adam, I didn't ask permission. Here's my challenge. You're a grace group leader. We're going to be a grace group leader. Right now, I double-dog dare you, I challenge you to begin looking in your group for leaders that you can develop, for leaders that you can develop to lead your grace group or another grace group. And while you're doing that, look for people who aren't connected to a group that you can invite. Most of the people who end up going to a group are invited by somebody from your group. They don't come because Pastor Dan, Pastor Adam said so. Neither would I. Those people are, you know why they come? Because he said, why don't you come sit with us at John Finn's house? We have a great time together. See what I'm saying? We want to reproduce groups, and then we want to launch campuses. That's why we're doing Sterling. Some of you are going to go to Sterling. I see some people back here I love, and I'm going to miss every Sunday. They're going to Sterling. You know why? Because there's people there that need Jesus. And so they're bearing fruit, and they're like, it's time to multiply. It's time to multiply. So we're going to plant an orchard there. You see, why do I tell you that? Because I want you to know how to interact with us. Some of you are a mess. No one else knows it. I'm glad you're here. We're a beautiful mess. We want to help you. We want to help you. And I want you to know that we're God's hospital, we're God's team, we're God's orchard. And so we know the win is to live to make Jesus make sense, and we want to multiply for the benefit of others, to the glory of God, so that the movement of the gospel can continue. So God, thanks. Thanks for a chance to talk about this. Thanks for a chance to clarify this. And I pray this morning that you would kind of seal the deal in our hearts. God, I pray that this seed of your word would land on good soil, bear fruit. And we'll look forward to how that's going to happen. Thanks for people that, that were baptized this morning. Jennifer and Caleb sitting right up under my nose here. And I, I pray that we'd see that over and over and over again. But I thank you for their lives as they sit right here in front of me. I pray that not only would we celebrate today, but that you would perpetuate in their life something that would impact many other lives for the glory of God and the gospel. I pray all this in Jesus' name.